Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Y'all, I told y'all last episode I was going to the Middle East and I was starting with Qatar. Yo, this place is crazy. I mean, and crazy in a good way. Like, it looked next level when I was researching it, but getting here, the pictures don't do it justice. This is like some next level living. They're not even in like the 21st century with the rest of us. They're like in some 22nd century Jetsons type-ish. It's crazy here. Everything is brand spanking new. And I mean new as in like the last 15 years. They have two skylines that I've seen so far that rival... I can't even say New York because New York skyline, beautiful though it is, most of it's older. It's kind of like downtown Miami skyline. Or if you've been to Panama, their skyline, it kind of looks like that. Like it kind of goes on forever and it's all lit up. I don't think it's crazier than Dubai's. Dubai has that highway where you go straight down the middle and it's skyscrapers on each side. It doesn't have that. Like it's impressive, but it's not quite Dubai, but it's close. It's also wealthier than Dubai. I'm traveling with one of my friends, Will, and he told his mother where he was. And she was like, isn't that like one of the richest cities in the world? And he was like, is it? Because I just assumed it was, you know, Dubai. I knew it was probably somewhere in the Middle East because of the oil and the natural gas. But Qatar is in the top five. I don't know what the top four is. But Qatar is in the top five and looks like it. Looks every bit of it. Like we went to the mall earlier today. It was a good mall. Most of the stores were American. And I was like, I didn't come to the mall all the way across earth to shop at H&M. I wanted to see more local stores, local brands. But it was a beautiful mall. It looked like Caesars Palace in Vegas, minus the talking statues. It is Caesars, right? It has like the, um, the gondola rides, like going through the mall. And it looks like Venice inside. Actually, that would probably be the Venetian, wouldn't it? That's what the mall looks like. And, and not even just like a section. I mean like the whole damn mall. And the mall is huge. It's not Mall of America big or Mall of Dubai big, but it's huge. It's crazy here. Like the technology is crazy. The architecture is crazy. The service is amazing. Like Vegas, they have almost every single restaurant, big restaurant that's in America or, or London here in Qatar, like everything. Qatar is big on on Friday brunch. Their weekend is Friday and Saturday instead of Saturday and Sunday. It's a staunchly Muslim country, so they don't observe the Sunday Sabbath. Like, why? So Friday and Saturday are their weekend days. So Fridays, they have these really big brunches. We went to Nobu. It's the biggest Nobu in the world. And we had a four-hour brunch. All you could drink tons and tons of food like we couldn't even finish it all and it was amazing it was just as good if not better than the ones in LA and Malibu like it's crazy here and and because technically this is winter in the Middle East the high every day is is between 65 and 70 which is perfectly fine for me I put on a long sleeve dress and I'm good to go but because it's their winter season and because the World Cup just went away it's their low season in terms of tourism And the hotels are super cheap. Our first stop when we got here yesterday, we went to the Valentino exhibit. It's the biggest Valentino exhibit ever. Beautiful gowns, beautiful gowns. And I don't mean that in Aretha Franklin type of way. I mean, like, like I wept at one point because it was so beautiful. I mean, their art. It's wearable art. Just beautiful. Just jaw-dropping beautiful. I posted 
videos and pictures on my social media accounts if you want to check it out at Demetria L. Lucas on whatever platform you choose. And then we went to the National Museum of Islamic Art after that. There was so much to see, but the thing that stood out to me was two things, actually. The jewelry, they had these huge necklaces, bangles, earrings, and they're just like dripping in diamonds. And, you know, it's on a display case. It is behind glass. I'm going to assume it's bulletproof. But I think what struck me was that it's just sitting there. Even the crown jewels in London, there's a little escalator that you go by very slow, but you never get a chance to just like, you know, stop and look at the jewels and just be all up on them. It's it's moving along as opposed to just like sitting there chilling in a museum. I mean, like diamonds the size of my thumbnail and it'd be like 17 of them in one necklace. I'll post pictures when I get a chance. The other thing that struck me in a museum and they have all these artifacts and it's everything from rugs, early copies of the Quran, vases, just all sorts of stuff. But it's from 10th century, 9th century, 13th century. And it just struck me because in American museums tend to go back to like 14th century and then it stops. I'm not talking about all the Egypt stuff that they stole. I'm just talking about like European history and American history. When I see stuff like that, I'm always reminded of how young America is. Like other people have artifacts back to like the 10th century. America didn't exist. Columbus didn't quote and unquote discover it until 1492. America only gets from under the British in 1776, 18th century. But here I am looking at artifacts from like 10th century, 11th century, 8th century, Crazy. But Doha's dope. I didn't really know much about this place. I saw Naomi Campbell post about the opening of the Valentino exhibit. She was here. And then a woman that I know in DC, she was also here for it. I think she was doing PR for it. Pictures from the exhibit popped up on my timeline, both of their pages. And I was like, what? What is this? I definitely wanted to see it. So I started researching Doha and I was like seeing all this beautiful stuff. And then I mentioned to somebody and I was like, I think I want to go to Doha for this Valentino exhibit. And they were like, oh, during the World Cup. And I was like, is that where it is? You know, I'll be into sports like that. But yeah, it's dope. I'm only here for three days, two nights. We fly to Dubai tomorrow night, but I wish I had more time. Like there's so much to see. This is definitely a place that I would want to come back to. We have good black news this week. Two things that I did see. Harlem season two is coming back. I love them chicks. I think it's back the beginning of February. I just saw the trailer for it the other day and I was really excited. Harlem is one of those shows when I'm feeling homesick and I just need to hear American voices that I put on as background as I'm just, you know, doing stuff in the apartment. I got to stop just randomly streaming stuff, though, because my Internet went out when I really, really needed it because I've been streaming too much random stuff. Between Emily in Paris and The Best Man and Kindred and then my random screamings of Harlem, my internet went whole out and called my landlady like, hey, it was Christmas Eve too. So I didn't want to hit her up on Christmas Eve. Like my internet's not working. And I was like, "Mm." and then it was actually Christmas Day. And I was like, I don't want to hit her on Christmas because it's a holiday, but my internet's not working. So finally I hit her on the 26th and I was like, hey girl, like I know it's still like holiday weekend. I know technically today's a holiday, but could you like top up my internet for me, please? Problem solved. Five minutes. But still, this pay in advance, still not used to it. My electricity done gone out twice. I told y'all that. How my mom came in town and I cleaned up my whole apartment. Like, it was smelling like bleach and pine salt. Like, I did real good because I was like, my mom's coming. Did I tell y'all this? 
took my mom to get her lashes done and then we go get our nails done and we're right up the street from my apartment so I was like oh let's swing by the apartment so you can see the place she really wanted to see it so she comes in the apartment and she's like oh it's so you know it's really nice and oh your place is so cute and then she was like oh it's a little warm can you turn on the air so you know like I'm like yeah sure so I hit the button ain't no air I hit the button again ain't no ain't no air like usually like a little orange light comes on to, to say that the power is on and then like I pushed another button for the lights and ain't no lights and I was like are you kidding me are you kidding me and the look on my mother's face she was like do, do you do you not have electricity and I was like no like I think I ran out and she was like what do you mean you ran out you ran out of electricity it was very confusing and very embarrassing. And I was like, oh my God, my mother's going to think I'm over here like living in squalor, like living without electricity. And sure enough, she told my dad, she was like, oh, I went to Demetrius' apartment and you know, she didn't have electricity. My dad going to pull me aside. He's like, everything, everything good over here? Like you need some coins? I was like, I'm fine. Why? And he was like, uh, your, your mama said you, you ain't had no electricity. I was like, oh God, here we go. Here we go. <sighs> And it's not about to get any better. South Africa is known for its rolling blackouts. In Ghana, my building has two backup generators. So the electricity has dimmed sometimes, but it's never gone out unless it ran out. South Africa, I've already been warned. They call it load shedding. And I was like, like a blackout. And she was like, like load shedding. And I was like, is that like a euphemism for blackout? And she's like, you know, if you want to say that, like that's what it is. Um, but they were like, yeah, load shedding is a thing. And they were like, there's no part of the city. And I was like, but I'm staying in like the really good part of the city. And they were like, yeah, like, do you think that means you get electricity? Do you think that means you don't get blackouts? And they were like, yeah, you'll probably get on before other people. She was like, cause of your proximity to the U.S. embassy. But they were like, oh yeah, like you're going to have load shedding. She's like, there's an app that tells you when your electricity is going to go out. And it tells you about how long it'll be off. Like you got to get the app. And I was like, how do I use the app? If like my electricity's off and they'd be like, keep everything charged for when it does. Because it's going to happen. I was like, what? Roll with the punches. I wanted to experience South Africa. That is part of the experience of living in Joburg. So, you know, figure it out. Tons of people live there. They figure it out. I will as well. The other good news, I saw Michael B. Jordan is hosting Saturday Night Live. I can't remember who the special guest is. Did I care? No, because I didn't write it down. You know how I feel about Michael B. Jordan. Although... I haven't really had the same warm fuzzies for him that I used to. He looks the same. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't, you know, been crazy or anything. Maybe I just haven't seen him enough. He was in Wakanda too. And I know he has like Creed 3. Yeah, Creed 3 is coming out soon. Maybe when I see Creed 3, I'll be excited about him again. I don't know. I'm not unexcited. I'm just not as excited as I once was. But I'm happy that he's hosting Saturday Night Live. I guess this is like the run-up to promoting Creed, the big PR push to get booties in the seats. Speaking of Michael B. Jordan, I'm only mentioning this very briefly because it was such a big story. Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance have a 16-year-old son who, for whatever reason, because it's popular on TikTok, that's the reason, he decided to prank his parents by telling them that an actor had died. I don't know why of all people he chose his parents to try this with because his parents are both actors. They know most of the actors. Like even if they don't have a close personal relationship with them, they may have worked with them. They've been in the same rooms with them. They've had interaction with them. They may share a publicist, a stylist, a makeup artist. Hollywood is actually a very, very small community, especially among the actors. But I mean of everybody who's working in front of the camera and behind is no more than like two degrees of separation. But for whatever reason, he decides to go to his mother and video this and tell his mother that Michael B. Jordan dies. I watched 
the video, not knowing what I was watching, and her reaction broke my heart. She wasn't like, oh my God, that's so sad to hear. Like she lost it. And then I'm thinking about, she worked on a film with Chadwick Boseman who died unexpectedly. I don't know if she was one of the few people who knew how sick he was. She'd gone through that like the rest of us. I was affected by that. I can only imagine what Angela Bassett felt. She has this horrific reaction, but this whole thing happened. You told this to your mother. You see the anguish on your mother's face. And then you still take that video and upload it on the internet. He puts it on TikTok. It goes viral because, you know, his parents are A-list celebrities. I didn't see Courtney B. Vance having interaction in the video. I saw him in the background. I don't know what or if he said anything. I can't go back and watch that video. I can't watch Angela Bassett's reaction that way. But the kid uploads it on TikTok. It goes viral. And then he has to snatch it down. I don't know what Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance said to this young child. And he is a young child. He's 16. He's a kid. He's not legal. Um, they got in his ass, though, because that apology video was heartfelt. Like, I apologize to Mr. Jordan, and I didn't think about the real consequences in people's lives who could be affected and blah, blah, blah. Like, his parents gathered him swiftly and got him together, as good Black parents tend to do. I bring this up because people have been dragging that child. Again, he's 16. He did something very, very stupid. No doubt. Should he have known better? He should. I did tons of shit at 16. I did some shit last week. Just keep it 100. That I shouldn't have done, had no business doing. I knew better and did it anyway. Like, I'm old and I'm definitely old enough to know better. 16? He's a kid and he did something stupid. But I'm watching adults across the internet drag him, call him all sorts of names. Like, just have no grace or empathy for a kid. We all did stupid shit at 16. Most of y'all are like me and did dumb shit last week too. He's a kid, y'all. He's a kid. He absolutely did something stupid. His parents clearly got in his ass, which is how we got the apology video, which he genuinely did seem sorry. Maybe sorry he got caught. He not gonna do that shit again. But he's a kid. He did something stupid. We all did. Give that kid some grace. Give him some grace. It's a child. Can we talk about people who are acting like children? Who are not children? I feel like America may need a reminder that it's supposed to be a first world country or it's supposed to be pretending to be a first world country or it's branded as a first world country. They're not really acting like it right now. This 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 Congress situation, this inability by the Republicans to elect a speaker of the House, ma'ams and sirs, ma'ams and sirs. At last count, this had been going on for three days. They were on vote 11 and they still can't elect Kevin McCarthy as speaker. They got to get to, is it 218? And they don't have the votes. And don't nobody know how they're going to get the votes. They've made all these concessions to the holdouts and they still like, no. What's the um, Gates? That's the one that had the young black boy living with him and was under investigation for, was it sex trafficking? Underage girls across state lines? Was that what it was? Something to do with young girls. Is that investigation still going on? But him, there's a video going around. They did a vote. They asked him who he wanted for Speaker of the House. And he said, Donald John Trump. Sir, let it go. Let it go. Trump is gone. Let it go. But they can't get a Speaker of the House. And because they can't get a Speaker of the House, Congress can't move forward. I found this article on Newsweek because I was like, what exactly does all of this mean? Okay, there's no House Speaker. And, and then what? 
Which, by the way, this ongoing vote, the last time something like this happened was in 1923. They were able to figure it out after three days. 2023, 100 years later, America is unable. Members of the House can't be sworn in until the new speaker is elected. Because they haven't been sworn in yet means they can't start work. They can't do shit. They have about, I'm reading this article on Newsweek. It says they have until roughly January 13th to get it together. Otherwise, like crazy shit starts to happen. They can't process payroll. It's going to have an effect on house employees who are enrolled in the 10-year student loan forgiveness program. Nobody's sworn in, so there's nobody to operate committees. So the committees can't process the student loan repayments. The, the existing committees have no chair of the committee because the House hasn't taken the oath of office. Again, no one can start work. I, I'm like, are, are, are you serious right now? Like, if this shit was happening in another country, America would be like, oh, my God. Like, what is this? This is the banana republic. They look crazy. They're over there acting a fool. This is why these people needed to be colonized or need to be recolonized because look at them over there unable to get their affairs in order. Those countries that Donald Trump was like, those are shithole countries. They don't have this problem. Their governments are actually working. Now, you can talk about the efficiency of them, but they can actually like, you know, I don't know, go to work. Now, they, they, can, they can choose not to work when they get there. They can choose to do corrupt shit once they start working. But y'all can't even go to work. Really? Whole house shut down. Y'all look crazy. We. I'm over here, but I'm still a we. We look crazy. You know what else is crazy? <laughs> Your boy, Harry. <laughs> I never did finish Harry and Meghan on Netflix, and I really might not, to be quite honest. I just, I've lost interest. And I was reading something earlier today. They were talking about the the leaks from Harry's upcoming memoir, which I'm definitely going to read. The leaks that have been coming out are insane. I was like, you know how they tell people, they were like, don't tell all your business, save some for the book. Harry did and did. It is high tea with Harry. He might've been high telling this shit. I mean, he did tell us in the book. He was like, yeah, I did cocaine. I did some other shit. You can keep some things to yourself. I know it's a book. It's a memoir. You want to tell your full story. You can, you can still keep some things to yourself. You didn't have to tell us everything. Apparently, he's telling us in this book how he's circumcised. And there was some major event. Was it Kate and William's wedding? And he showed up. His penis had frostbite. Sir. He put some Elizabeth Arden cream on his dick. Sir. Sir. That's too much. Like, you know how you say, I want to know the details. Do I really? And you know, all this time, I've been very pro, like Harry and Meghan, Harry and Meghan, let them live their lives, love wins. I thought the British press treated them terribly. I believe them when they say crazy shit was going on with the royal family. But at some point, they've done an Oprah sit down. Meghan's done a bunch of magazine interviews. There's a two-part Netflix series. Netflix built it as a global event. And now there's a book. And I don't really see the royal family like clapping back on them. Like, it's not like it's back and forth and it's playing out in public. But I just feel like, I don't know. Maybe it's like the royal family did all of this shit to them. And so this is their way of doing all the shit back. But it's kind of like, I don't know. Like, you left. You're out. Stay out. But I also kind of feel like it's their story. And so, like, you know, if they want to tell it, they can tell it. And the onus is on the reader or the viewer to decide if they want to engage in it. It's fair. It's their story to tell. It's their experience. I often say, if people want you to tell great stories about them, then they should have behaved better. I get it. I don't know. Sometimes it feels like overkill. 
But then also I'd be like glued to the screen and be like, and then what happened? Except for the documentary. I just can't get into it. I tried again and I was like, I just, I can't. I don't care that much. I can't. But this book from Harry, let's get into what Harry had to say. Because I was like, bruh, I'm reading this on NewYorkMag.com. <laughs> they made the story free for a limited time because they know so many people want to know what Harry's talking about. They made a list of the most bonkers revelations from Harry's book. Their number one was Prince William physically attacked Harry. It said uh, William showed up to Harry's house. Harry said he was, quote, piping hot. He wanted to talk about Meghan. He said Meghan was, quote, and unquote, difficult, quote, and unquote, rude, quote, and unquote, abrasive. Harry told William that William was just repeating the press narrative about Meghan. Harry said they began shouting at each other. Harry also says he became scared of his brother. He says he gave him a glass of water in an attempt to calm him down. Then he says William suddenly attacked him. He writes in the book and the Guardian has a copy of the book. They're one of the people who are releasing these quotes. Harry said, quote, William set down the water, called me another name. He doesn't say what that was. He says, then he came at me. It all happened so fast. He grabbed me by the collar, ripping my necklace, and he knocked me to the floor. I landed on the dog's bowl, which cracked under my back. The pieces cutting into me. I lay there for a moment, dazed, then got to my feet and told him to get out. Harry writes that William urged him to hit back, citing fights they had as children. Harry says he refused to do so. This was number one on the list. I was like, this is number one? Number two. William and Kate are the ones who told him to dress like a Nazi. Do you remember that? This is maybe like, I don't know, 15 18 years ago, Harry was young, but he was old enough to know better. He was a grown-ass man. 20 is still, you know, to me, it's still a kid, but he's definitely an adult, and he definitely should have known better. It was a native and colonial party, which is problematic in itself, but Harry was planning to attend. It was a dress-up party. He said, I phoned Willie. That's what he calls his brother, Prince William. He said, I phoned Willie and Kate. I asked what they thought. It was between that outfit and something else. Was it a firefighter? A pilot. I'm sorry. It was a pilot. It was between a Nazi uniform and a pilot. And he says, William and Kate both said, wear the Nazi uniform. He said he modeled the outfit for them and quote, they both howled. Really? So all of y'all ain't got no sense is what you're telling me. Number three, this would have been my number one. I think Harry had a frostbit penis at William's wedding. I couldn't remember what it was. It was his brother's wedding. He said uh, Harry had just completed a 200-mile Arctic charity walk, and he was still suffering from the effects of the big event. He said while the ears and cheeks were already healing, the todger. I've never heard it referred to as a todger before. That's what the British call it? Okay. He said it was becoming more of an issue by the day. He said following the wedding, he went to a doctor after using some Elizabeth Arden cream on it. <laughs> He also confirms he's circumcised. I was like, sir, 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 sir. We didn't need to know all of this. Apparently, there were longstanding reports that he was not circumcised. I was like, I've, I've never heard anything one way or another about Harry's penis. There are other famous people I've heard about their penis. There's a particular rapper, a very well-known rapper. It's supposed to be like a, a two-liter Coke bottle. And I was like, excuse me? Excuse me? And, you know, Corinne Steph has told us about a little bit about everybody. Other people just put their whole penis on the Internet. Nelly. But I'd never heard anything about Harry's penis. Okay, he's circumcised. Okay. Charles, the king. 
This is a recount from Harry. He would have been too young to remember this. So somebody must have told him. Harry recounts. Prince Charles said to his wife, Princess Diana, on the day of Harry's birth, quote, wonderful. Now you've given me an heir and a spare. My work is done. You refer to your kid as a spare? I know there's a popular term, an heir and a spare. Like, that's why Harry's memoir is called Spare. I thought it was very interesting that he referred to himself as Spare. I think that says a lot about where he feels like he fits in his family. If he does feel like he fits at all, which I would gather from this book, maybe not. It's a royal family, but it's also a family. Your father referring to you as a spare. I wonder who told him that and what their intentions were of telling him that story. Harry's a newborn. Obviously, he doesn't remember it. But like, where did he hear that? And what was the intention in telling him that? Like, that's very hurtful. Like your father referring to you as a, a spare, not a son, a spare. I don't know. Maybe that explains a lot about why Harry is out here spilling all this damn tea because he is telling it all. If I'm going to tell it, then I got to tell it all. Like somebody tell this man to turn off the Usher. Turn off Usher. Everybody's talking about this. Like obviously, you know, New York Mag. But also I was reading about it on like the Melanin Shade Room. They had a whole carousel of revelations from Harry's book and a ton of comments. There was other stuff that was in the book. Let me see. Prince Harry claims to have killed 25 people while on tour in Afghanistan. He also says that he watched Meghan Markle's sex scene in suits. He says that was a mistake. He says he's done cocaine, cannabis, and magic mushrooms while he was in boarding school. This was when he was 17. We talked about the Nazis. Oh, Harry and William told King Charles not to marry Camilla. He did that anyway. Camilla's the love of his life. He visited a psychic to receive messages, to receive a message from his mother. She used to go to psychics and astrologers. That's not really too weird. He is his mother's child. I'll give him that. He says he lost his virginity to an older woman in a field behind a pub at the age of 17. Harry, why are you telling us all this? He also says that his brother, Prince William, he suggested that Harry and Meghan get married in a village chapel rather than St. Paul's Cathedral or Westminster Abbey. I'd like to know why William suggested that. Like, what was what was the reason? What was the reason? Yeah, I can't wait for this book to come out. I have really no interest in Harry and Meghan on Netflix. But this book, <laughs> I'm very interested. I don't know why. I don't know why I don't care about one, but I'm interested in the other. But I will be tuning in expeditiously, to use one of my Mike Tyson words. <laughs> Is there anything else? You know, for a very long time on this podcast, we discussed a story that wasn't getting a lot of national attention, but it was about a family who their ancestors had owned property. And I want to say it was Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles. Manhattan Beach in the early 1900s stole the property from this family and the Bruce family, and they decided to give it back. And I'm reading this in the LA Times. It says it's the first example of the government giving back land to a black family after acknowledging it had been stolen. 
So this story, we talked about it many, many times because it was a conversation about it happening. There was a petition for it to happen. And then it was introduced as legislation. And then it was approved. And then it was given back to them. It was a whole saga. And we talked about it a whole bunch. So the family got the land earlier this year. And earlier this week, the family decided to sell the land back to the government for $20 million. So if you remember this story, and I'm reading this from the LA Times, the backstory to this land is in the early 1900s, I'm quoting this, Willa and Charles Bruce were pushed out of a bustling resort that they had built. It was beloved by the black community. The Ku Klux Klan, along with other white residents of the area, plotted to drive the family away, and city officials later condemned their property through eminent domain, claiming they needed the land for a park. The family's resort was demolished and the Bruce family moved away. If I remember, the husband died not so long after that. And then the wife ended up like working for someone else. Like they paid them some money for eminent domain, but it was nothing equivalent to what the land was actually worth or what the property that was being destroyed was worth. I don't remember the exact details, but the Bruce's didn't do so well after that. The L.A. Times also notes that this land was taken via eminent domain to build the park and this park wasn't built for decades. So they just didn't want these black people to have this land and make some money. So the government ends up returning the land to the family. The family had an option, which nobody knew at the time. This is the first we're hearing of it. The family had an option where they could require the county to buy back the property from them. They had a two year window to do this. They're exercising it within six months. So an attorney from the family spoke to the L.A. Times and they, he says the sale was not unexpected. He said the family always wanted the option to sell the property back. He said the, the sale was still a victory for the Bruce descendants. He pointed out that while they would no longer have the land that their grandparents were robbed of, they would now have the money that they should have inherited had their grandparents' business continued to be allowed to prosper. It was a very prosperous business from what I remember reading. This is what the lawyer says, quote, he says, what was stolen from the family was the property, but what the property represented was the ability to create and preserve and group and pass down generational wealth. And by allowing the family now to have a certainty in selling this property to the county, taking the proceeds of that sale and investing it in their own futures, that's restoring some of what the family lost. And he asked, he said, I think we all need to respect the family's decision to know what's in its best interest. Um, he also pointed out that there were multiple factors that contributed to the family's decision. He said, one, none of the descendants, the Bruce descendants that, that own this land, he said, none of the descendants live in Southern California. He says they're at stages of their life where they want the money so they can invest it in other properties. He also pointed out, and I think this is really important, he said the land was not zoned for development. So they gave them this land back. They have the GP of owning the land, but they would have to fight for years possibly, but they would have to fight for years possibly to change the zoning laws in order to get a permit so that they could build develop, do whatever they want to do with this land. And they weren't up for that. They were just like, I want the money. But I thought that tidbit about the zoning laws was really interesting. It's all these years later, a hundred, and the family is still dealing with the 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 red tape bureaucracy government bullshit, essentially, that their ancestors who owned the property were dealing with. The the original owners had the property and it was taken from them 
via eminent domain and it was zoned to be a park. And now years later, it's like, okay, we'll give you the land back, but we're not going to allow you to actually do something with it where you can make any real profit off of it. They've got this land. They've got this beautiful beachfront land in a very prime area, but they can't do anything with it. And I want to say I read that the that the county was paying them 400000 a year to lease it. So 400000 over 50 years is, is the $20 million. So the family would have had to own the land for 50 years in order to make $20 million off of it. They don't want to do the zoning fight. They don't live in Southern California. I imagine that even if they could change the zoning laws, trying to figure out as a family what they want to build there and who's going to operate it and how it's going to run and all of those things, um, it might just seem like a headache. I've seen several publications online that are discussing um, the family selling the land back to the county and people have just been dragging that family. They were like, you know, this equivalent of like selling grandma's house and how could they do this? And they finally got the land back in the family and they're just going to sell it back and they're not seeing the long game. And this is what's wrong with black people and sell out and all sorts of stuff. But I was like, real talk. Like, I, I get it. Like, would I love to see the family keep the land just for black folks to own the land? Like, yeah. But if you can't make any money off of it, you can't build anything on it. It's just sitting there. Like, their logic is sound to me. I mean, on the GP of it all, I'd love for them to have it just in case, you know, something comes up down the line. They can't even build a house on it, like because of the zoning laws. Like, I, I get it. Take the money, split it up, invest it. Hopefully don't spend it all in one place. Please don't do that. Like my family has some land. My father has explicitly told me, do not sell it. As I don't have kids, he was like, in your will, like it needs to be passed down to someone in the family. He was like, this was my daddy's land. This land must stay in the family. Do not sell this land. Pay the property taxes on this land so nobody can come and take it. Like, yeah. But I'm also in a financial position where like, you know, I don't need the money in order to, you know, survive or thrive or whatever. Like I have other things. This family might need the money. I don't know what their their situation is. I wish them the best. And I wish they had other options. Um, but it does seem like some of the same, you know, BS from back in the day is still in play. And they're making the best decision they can, um, given the limitations that they have to work within. All right. We will talk again next week. I'll be back on Tuesday. Hopefully y'all can get a Speaker of the House elected by the time we meet again. And by y'all, I mean probably nobody listening to this podcast because this is a Republican issue. And I imagine if you have strong Republican views, you probably don't listen to me. So, okay. Not everything, but that's what we've got. Have a great weekend. Bye.